Hello, and welcome to our Rethink Live panel discussion, How to Accelerate Our Journey to Net Zero Buildings, brought to you by Dan Foss. We've invited three topic experts to share their expertise and view with us the role of a smart HVAC technology in the journey to net zero buildings. My name is Michael Kellerman, Director of Business Development at Dan Foss, and I have the pleasure to moderate today's discussion. And for our viewers, feel free to be part of the dialogue as well by dropping your questions into the Q&A box on this ON24 platform. We'll take those questions throughout the session and then we'll try to answer some of those at the end. So Jenna Kramer is our first panelist today and she's the president and CEO of the Green Building Alliance. Green Building Alliance is an independent nonprofit organization and one of the oldest regional green building organizations in the United States. So welcome, Jenna. Can you give us a little bit about yourself and about the Green Building Alliance? Sure. Um, well, first, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, I very much admire the work of Dan Foss and excited to uh, be next to colleagues talking about one of my favorite topics. Um, so I, my name is Jenna. I'm based out of Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh, um, work throughout the region on, you know, one of my biggest passions, I think, my whole life was creating quality places for people. Um, and the interaction of people in place and definitely net zero buildings fall in line with that. Um, so Green Building Alliance, uh, we are celebrating our 30th year this year. Congratulations. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, as you mentioned, we were the first regional green building organization in the country. Um, and our work is to positively transform the world through the built environment to create a healthy, just and resilient future for everyone. Excellent. Realize the built environment has the biggest uh, contribution to climate change, but also to social equity, to human health, and creating thriving economies. Um, so we work throughout the region. We have strategic partnerships across the country and even across the world through a partnership with the United Nations. So uh, very, very excited to be here. Excellent. Well, you're definitely on the front lines of green buildings and net zero. So we, yes. we look forward to your input today. Uh, our second panelist is Vikas Anand, Regional Vice President at Dan Foss. So Vikas, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Dan Foss? Yeah, thank you, Michael. And uh, thank you, Jenna, for having, I would say, being here. I would say, I think with your background and I would say expertise, I think uh, we all can learn a lot about your association with that's going. Uh, my name is uh, Vikas, Vikas Anand. Uh, I'm a, from a background perspective, I'm an international sales and marketing professional uh, with over 25 years of experience in uh, emerging and mature markets. Uh, I have an extensive background and interest in energy efficient solutions and carbon neutral technologies uh, that help uh, address uh, address some of the world's toughest challenges uh, linked to the global mega trends that we are facing. Uh, currently, I'm in the role of uh, Vice President North America for Danfoss Climate Solutions, uh, where I lead the North American sales, applications and operations teams that helps to work with the customers in uh, in providing energy efficient solutions and in the areas of buildings, cold chain, infrastructure and industrial applications. So, so look forward to the dialogue and uh, I would say looking forward to learn as well myself. Excellent. Thank you, Vikas. And we look forward to your input on today's discussion. And then our third panelist, Victor Marinich, Global Strategy Director of Commercial Buildings at Danfoss. Vic, you want to tell us a little about yourself and sure. your role at Dan Foss? Sure. Thanks, Mike. So, again, I'm uh, Vic Marinich. I'm uh, located here in our Baltimore office, and I'm currently part of our strategic marketing team. Um, I've been a longtime Dan Foss uh, uh, employee, and I've spent most of my career actually 
more on the air conditioning side of things. So working a lot with our customers on designing and developing uh, the most efficient systems that we can, right? Chillers and heat pumps and VRF units and, and uh, residential units and so on. And so working a lot on you know, refrigerant transition issues, on meeting the new SEER, SEER 2 requirements and doing a lot of those things. Um, but uh, beginning of this year, I transitioned over to uh, taking the lead role of being uh, responsible for our global uh, commercial building strategy. And so I think that's you know something really interesting because now it's looking at all those um, uh, units we helped design in the past, chillers, heat pumps, rooftops, and then really applying them into the entire commercial building envelope and making sure right that not just each individual component is running as it should, but making that whole system uh, work and sync together much better. So I really look forward to the discussion today as well. So thanks, Excellent. Mike. Yeah. So you're right out there with our customers. So hopefully bring some. Uh, insight on the challenges, needs, and solutions that they're looking for. And we've got them, so. Yeah. All right. Well, together with our three panelists, we want to assess where we are today with energy efficiency in our buildings and discuss those challenges and opportunities ahead. The panelists can each bring their own experiences, which they have, and so I think today will be quite insightful. But our first session today called, How to Accelerate Our Journey to Net Zero Buildings. The question is, what does that mean, net zero buildings? And when we talk about that, I think we've heard a couple different uh, references to that. Sometimes we talk about net zero energy buildings, and at other times we talk about net zero carbon buildings. And so I guess the gold standard would be a net zero carbon building. But in most buildings today, a lot of the focus still is on energy efficiency. Moving forward, I want to give a little bit of context as to why we're having this discussion and why the topic is so crucial. Globally, according to the IEA, International Energy Agency, buildings are responsible for roughly 37% of greenhouse gas emissions. And if we dig inside of that, 28% of that is operational emissions, with the other 11% being materials and construction. So with the Paris climate goals in mind, there can't be any doubt that we need to decarbonize our buildings in order to achieve climate neutrality by 2050. Global building space is projected to double by 2060. Currently, only about 3% of investments in new construction is green and efficient. And if we look at building innovations or renovations, that's even lower at barely 1%. So in other words, it's time to take action now in order to meet those climate goals that we have ahead. However, there is some good news as well. Solutions are available and more affordable. I think some of our team wants to talk about those. And if the building industry can get that right, along with leveraging these technologies, we can all benefit from the rewards of, rewards of energy efficiency and comfortable buildings. So as the backdrop for today's debate, I'm looking forward to getting some insights on how we can accelerate. Jenna, Vickis, and Vic, welcome again, and let's move on to our discussion. So for our first question, uh, our discussion topic, where are we globally when it comes to developing net zero buildings? And do you already see successful, truly net zero projects around both globally as well as North America? So Jenna, let you go first. Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to hear my colleagues as well because they come with such a great global perspective. Um, so thanks for mentioning a lot of those statistics, Michael. Um, I think globally, the world is in a place right now where people realize the need for a rapid transformation of the built environment and of our buildings. And the idea of decarbonization cannot happen without addressing our buildings. Um, 
something exciting. I think, you know, a few years ago at the COP26 conference in Glasgow, so the International Climate Conference, where all the countries come together to make climate commitments, but also to report on progress, when everyone was seeing how well we have, how far we have come since the Paris Agreement was made. Um, it was the first COP conference that buildings had a specific day in focus because everyone realizes that it's an area that we need to come together around. Um, at that conference, there were a number of breakthrough targets that were announced. And the following year, there was an announcement about a buildings breakthrough. And the idea of that, it was led by France and the Kingdom of Morocco with encouraging other communities to come on board, or other countries to come on board. And the goal is to make near zero emissions and resilient buildings available, accessible, affordable to everyone by the year 2030. So it sets this international standard mm -hmm. um, and something that many people are striving for, trying to reach, moving towards. Um, and then on, from, on the scale of North America, I think there are a lot of great initiatives as well. Um, one of them that we point to a lot is the 2030 district effort. Um, so that's there are 2030 districts in over 20 cities in North America, and they bring together existing buildings because we have to address our existing buildings um, and also set higher standards for new buildings. Um, and I think collectively, there are over 3,100 buildings committed to 50 to 65 percent reductions in carbon emissions by 2030. But then to your point, the, the new goal is how, how do we accelerate to zero and getting to zero by 2040 um, or 2030, 2040. Um, uh, excitingly, Pittsburgh has the largest 2030 district in the world. Um, we have over 1,100 buildings in Western PA committed to those goals. And what makes it so successful is that we help buildings track their performance so they understand the data of their building, they understand where they want to go, and then they get on a pathway to achieve those goals. So looking at the existing buildings, we want them to get as close to near zero, obviously, but also making sure that any new building that goes into the ground is as near zero carbon or near zero energy as possible. Uh, there are wonderful examples, you know, where throughout our region, but also I think across North America, we could probably talk about several of those projects here, but just to name a few, we have um, an amazing Frick Environmental Center and Phipps Conservatory and Global Links. These are all nonprofit organizations um, that really have advanced and set the bar of what's possible and have net zero buildings. Um, we also have a fire station in Erie, which is in Northwest PA that just achieved net zero, which is really exciting because you can see it in many different applications. Um, housing projects that, you know, go back many years that have also pursued net zero. So I think there are many examples and projects to look to um, to find case studies about it. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Vic or uh, Avia, yeah, saying you I, I mean, there? I, I think the, the most important message, right, that, that Jenna gave is Net zero buildings are here today, right? Net zero carbon buildings are here today. We're not talking buildings of the future or some right crazy space technology that we need to get there. We can get there today. We're getting there now, right? So it's something we don't have to wait for 
uh, you, you know, some uh, technological leaps to come in and all those kinds of things. We have the ability to do net zero buildings, whether it's new buildings, new construction or retrofit. And I think that's really important to know that it's something we can act on straight away. Right. There's, if I remember, six million or so buildings in the U.S., 120 million residential buildings. So there's a huge foundation of buildings out there that today can get started on improving their uh, their energy efficiency. And, and that's maybe to the point of net zero. Right. It's really two sides, uh, right? Net zero means we're using less energy than we're generating. So we're doing some energy generation through uh, uh, solar, through wind, or, or uh, to have you some renewable energy. But I think the critical part is, of course, minimizing the energy use in general, right? I mean, it, it's not good to just say, let's make tons of solar, right? And then we can just uh, right use as big a system as we want and everything else. So, I mean, there, there's two sides to that coin of net zero energy production and energy consumption. And I think the drive we have today and the technology we have today to drive energy consumption super low to allow us to get to that uh, net zero number, I think is, uh, you know, something real exciting and I look forward to talking about. Excellent. I guess anything? I think, uh, I think there's a lot uh, Jenna has shared about what's happening in the U.S. and I would say North America in general. But uh, if I have a little bit put perspective on global, um, uh, and I think this is all coming because of the Paris Agreement, as you said, Michael, 195 countries have committed uh, to, I would say, the Paris Agreement, and everybody is striving and have an ambition to reduce the, I would say, the global warming uh, by at least two degrees, if not, I would say, 1.5 degrees. So, so there's a lot of, I would say, efforts that are being put there. And 2030 is challenge, challenging, I would say, from a time frame perspective, but uh, as, uh, as Vic was saying, this doable. We have the technologies, we have the solutions. Um, I think Europe has committed, uh, I would say, a lot of money. I would say they have even, I would say, committed uh, 700 90 more than 790 billion euros as part of uh, the energy and uh, recovery plan and that goes uh, directly into the I would say the energy renovation of existing buildings um, i think existing buildings is a big part of uh, the infrastructure that we have everywhere and uh, without looking at the existing building i don't think uh, that will achieve this uh, ambition in asia i think where i spent my last uh, 15 20 years uh, there's a lot of work that is being done on i would say driving towards net zero buildings uh, and what is different between, I would say, Asia, uh, because there's a lot of emerging and, I would say, developing economies in Asia. So there's a lot of new buildings that are coming in, and they have, a, you can say, an, an opportunity to have the solutions, the technologies right up front when they're building these, I would say, the new construction. So so there's a lot of, uh, lot of head start Asia has over some of the other parts of the world where we have to really go through retrofit. In U.S., uh, as we know, I would say there are many associations uh, that are helping implement, and one of them is EPA. So EPA is also supporting developing and implementing uh, net zero technologies and uh, solutions. Uh, one of the buildings that I personally have seen, uh, the net zero building, which is not too far away from here, is in Maryland. Uh, so I think we have a lot of examples to share from this part of the country. It is uh, is the Unisphere in Maryland. That's a head office or one of the, I would say, one of the companies, and they use a combination of uh, geothermal wells uh, and solar panels. So, so, and it's a pretty interesting building. And if uh, any one of you have a chance to go around there and see that, uh, uh, and it's basically generating more energy than it's consuming. So, it's a pretty exciting um, building from outside. But if you have a chance to even go and see inside, excellent, excellent. Well, there's a lot of uh, good examples I think that have been mentioned. Well, let's talk a little bit about the policy aspect here. So what are some of the local policies that impact the journey to net zero buildings? Vic, so, I'll let you go ahead with that. Yeah, one. so I, I think with anything new, and, and again, I think net zero is still uh, uh, something pretty new, right? We maybe need a little bit of uh, uh, 
helping hand to push us along, right? And, and so we're seeing a lot of different things coming uh, right now. So I guess we can look at it kind of sticks and carrots, right? Uh, on the policy side, I, I think two of the big things driving are one, of course, a consistent, constant increase in efficiency requirements at the uh, component level. So we keep seeing, right, uh, your, if you look for air conditioners for your home recently, you'll see, you know, SEER ratings going from 13 to 14 to 15 and up. And we see that on all the commercial equipment as well. Uh, chillers and rooftop units and so on. We see the, the efficiency ratings uh, continue to be pushed higher and higher. And that's, of course, um, you, you know, to, to minimize the uh, electricity usage. And we're also seeing transitions to new refrigerants that are much more, um, you know, much better for the environment, low global warming potential. Uh, something else that we're seeing is uh, from a city as well as a state level um, restrictions on the use of natural gas for heating. So uh, typically it's around new construction where the city or the state will ban new construction uh, using natural gas hookups. So meaning that the homes or the buildings will have to be completely heated and cooled using only electricity, right? So that's driving again away from, um, you know, burning fossil fuels. And then obviously we are looking to have uh, renewable energy used to power a lot of those new systems. So those are kind of the requirements that now we have to uh, deal with and have to implement. Uh, but then on the positive side, uh, if we talk specifically here in the U.S., we have uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, which is giving incentives to support the increased uh, CapEx requirements on getting this equipment into place. So um, you know, on the one hand, we're mandating the changes, but the government understands, uh, especially as we're you know just beginning the uh, the upward shift in the curve here that we're going to need some some help to make sure whether it's the homeowners or whether it's uh you know commercial building property owners that they're able to implement these new technologies and so there's funding set aside in the uh, ira to do that all right uh vic or jenna anything on the policies you want to comment on yeah i mean maybe i don't add what else vic was saying because i think overall the us has <coughs> excuse me has a net zero emission target uh, to achieve by 2050 so and there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, regulatory and I would say legislative support that needs to come uh, to support that uh, initiative. And one of them, which Vic mentioned uh, about the, I would say the Inflation Reduction Act, there's uh, more than around $400 billion that has been pumped uh, to ensure that uh, we have the technologies and solutions to support that transition. But there's another one which we all know is a bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill uh, that is uh, going to, I would say, invest uh, around a trillion dollars over the next 10 years uh, in, I would say, securing the American energy supply chains and generating, I would say, clean uh, energy jobs, I would say, clean, I would say, reducing the waste. So there's a lot of uh, investments, uh, I would say, the administration is, I would say, committing as part of the, I would say, the long-term goal achievement, which now in 2021, the current administration has signed uh, as part of the Paris Agreement. But there are also, I would say, some states uh, like uh, New York, California, Colorado, they are also have much more ambitious targets. Uh, and I think this is also helping uh, the rest of the, say, the country to also support and commit to these, uh, these, uh, these ambitions. One of the specific laws that I will highlight, and I think which uh, Vic was a little bit uh, alluding to, is uh, Local Law 97. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is primarily coming from New York State, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, for any new outside buildings with uh, more than 25,000 square footage, uh, will have to, I would say, <coughs> a, a steep reduction in the greenhouse gases and the net zero. So I think there's a lot of regulatory and legislative and, I would say, capital commitment that is uh, 
coming as part of the, I would say, the regulatory environment. And I believe this will all help us to drive down the energy. All right. Anything you want to add, Jenna? We both covered many different aspects. The, the few things I would add is that it's, you know, we always think about these levers that you need because we do need the policy, but also other incentives to help um, move these projects forward, especially when they are early on to just drive down that that cost. Um, and local government is really important in helping to move that forward. And um, just thinking about some of our local examples, the city of Pittsburgh has a near zero energy ready um, goal for the buildings in Pittsburgh. Um, we also have a great municipality, Forest Hills, that's right outside of the city that built a net zero energy municipal building and has a net zero energy goal for their whole municipality. So sometimes, you know, it's it's important for us to think about the government on many different levels, um, state obviously important and federal. And the two big bills you both mentioned, um, which I heard a government official say Bill and IRA, which just is easier than repeating it, you know, every time. But Bill and IRA, the one thing we talk to a lot of our community and stakeholders about is that we hear all the time unprecedented amount of money coming forward to actually address our buildings and our built environment to make it healthy and efficient and near zero. So that is very exciting to know that the investment is also coming um, so excellent. Thank you. Thank you all. Well, Vic, uh, there's obviously a lot of good things coming, but you touched on a, a couple challenges. So let's let's open that one up a little bit. Um, what do you think are some of the most common challenges that uh, people in, encounter in developing these net zero buildings? And maybe Vic, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So I, I guess it, it maybe depends a bit if we're talking new construction or renovation. Right, because obviously, if you're doing renovation, uh, you're 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 uh, uh, working with a fixed uh, foundation, fixed uh, infrastructure, and so then you really are you know quite limited in what you can do, right? So you need to make sure everything uh, uh, fits within that space. So that that adds one extra layer of um, uh, of anything when it comes to trying to get your building down to net zero. But I think maybe we look at it two ways. One. Uh, capex in general, right? To Jenna's point, it it really is. It, it's technology that's out there, but we're still in the ramp up stages. So we know there's going to be some some additional costs associated with, with getting some of these technologies put into the building and, and everything working together. But we have those offsets in, in the uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act and so on. So uh, what was a roadblock maybe in the past when people were, were looking to uh, to do the right thing um, now seems to be uh, uh, something a, a bit less of a, of a concern. And I think the other challenge is really we can maybe call it thinking outside the box right it's not just about brute force and you, you know today i've got a rooftop and i'm just going to put in that more efficient rooftop i've got a chiller i'm going to put in a more efficient chiller whatever it is and just kind of force the energy consumption down um a, a lot of the technologies today right we're running super efficient as it is right and there's going to be incremental costs if we want to make them you know step change more efficient so we really have to think about the whole building envelope uh so it's how that chiller is working with the you know the fan coils or the air handlers and how the system is balanced and how do we have insulation and do we have uh uh you know well insulated windows and, and we really need to take a holistic approach to reduce the overall uh energy requirements on the building and that's 
Um, of course, when you're designing a new building, that's uh, you know quite simple. It's something you can do, uh, you know, in the in the early stages of the design. When you do have a retrofit, right? Some of these things can become a lot more expensive, and then it becomes a matter of trade-offs, right? Where where can you get the biggest uh, efficiency bang for your buck? Sure. Okay. Vikas or Jenna, anything to add? No, I think uh, Vic mentioned, I would say, a couple of, I would say, key themes. Uh, one of them, of course, is investments. And I think with these fields, uh, this is a really helping drive the, I would say, the availability of the funding towards that. But one of the, 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 the couple of other themes that I believe is also impacting us in our, you can say, fast ramp up or acceleration in this. And one of them is the, I would say, the involvement of private corporations. Mm -hmm. Even though the government is coming up, the administration is coming up and supporting that, uh, the private uh, contribution is, to a certain extent, still limited. And this is, of course, limited because of the availability of funding, the capital, the cost of capital, the tax incentives, the other. And the more uh, we can do involve the, I would say, the private corporations, the faster acceleration we will see in, uh, I would say, in the ramp up there. The other, the other, I would say, topic which is also worth, I would say, evaluating and debating is uh, the understanding of technologies and solutions. And I think it all starts way back in our, our college education, our school education, because I think the technology has evolved so much in the last few years that what we are teaching uh, kids in the college and how much they understand the technologies and solution and uh, as they graduate, how much they're growing, bringing this uh, knowledge in their design and in architects and in construction materials. I think there's, there's a lot of work to be done there. And I believe uh, the more we invest uh, in the education areas around uh, the understanding of knowledge, uh, I think it will also go a long way in ramping up faster. Mm -hmm. That's a great point on the, the education piece. So, Jen, yeah, anything? Vegas, I love that. Um, I was thinking, you know, a lot of the work that we do at, at GBA, we we are obviously thinking about the best strategies and innovation and technology. But the reason why we even care about any of this is because of people. I mean, people are the the people occupy buildings, and so how are we designing the best places for people? But Thinking about the whole spectrum of the human side of it, it's, you know, convincing an owner, regardless of what sector they're in, you know, maybe it's a homeowner or a private company, as you had mentioned, or, you know, your local government, higher education, a K through 12 school. How do you convince the owner that they want to make a decision and do these investments and create a healthier, more efficient, near zero building um, and then it's the whole like people supply chain of that. So having an educated workforce and really investing in workforce development, mm -hmm. starting from high school through CTEs, community colleges, but higher education, but also the folks who are already in the profession. Um, we often are designing great buildings or making these investments, and then we need to make sure that the people who occupy them or even the facilities team who operate and maintain them on a daily basis know how to do that as we continue to innovate and, and evolve so great points. excellent well, great inputs everybody well let's let's bring this down a little bit to a specific project or or at a project level and how do we ensure that we get net zero or as close as possible to that in these projects and maybe you can talk a little bit about specific technologies uh, that are used, or or maybe it's stricter regulations, but but how do we ensure that at a project level? All the great background backdrop we've got so far here. Yeah, maybe Go. I'll start, but you guys should. I I'm like looking at both of you because I know you have um, 
they are experts in the technology side. But I think for a project, you know, as, as we had mentioned previously, getting people to come together at the beginning around a greater goal, an ambitious goal, especially if it is near zero energy, that setting that goalpost and establishing the goals early on and upfront is really important. Um, and to the point earlier about the holistic side of buildings, one of the key principles of green building is integrative design. And so how do you get everyone around the table early on and even throughout the process so that everyone is aligned around those goals and we understand how one decision impacts another. Um, energy modeling is also obviously very important. And I would say tracking the data and performance over time so that behavior can be adjusted, investments can be changed, so that you're really understanding, you know, your building almost as like a living, interacting thing with the people who occupy that space. Um, I think those are very soft sides of the early on uh, types of aspects. Um, but you also mentioned some technology and other things, which I think you both might dive into. Um, but we are seeing a lot of push for electrification and digitalization. Um, we also think a lot about how are all of the advancements in AI and many other things going to impact how we create smart buildings and more interactive buildings as we move forward. So those are high level, but I can dive deeper into some of the technology after you guys. Yeah, I think, Jenna, you have mentioned, I think, most of them. But uh, if I have to refer, I would say, to World Economic Forum, uh, they actually came up in 2020, I would say, with four clear, I would say, uh, areas that can help uh, drive, I would say, the net zero. And one of them, of course, is the decarbonization of the electric grid. I think that's where it starts from. Um, and I think there's a lot of uh, work being done, whether it's uh, geothermal, whether it's uh, solar, whether it's uh, wind energy, how can we really harness these uh, with the renewable, I would say, energies to decarbonize our, our grid. Uh, the second area that they highlighted was the electrification of the building space and uh, I would say the heating space. And here we have technologies like heat pumps, which is our really, really, I would say, gaining speed uh, now in this, uh, in this period where the natural gas is also becoming, I would say, more, I would say, costly. Uh, so the electrification of the space is also really, really important. And then we have, I would say, a wide range of energy efficient uh, solutions and technologies that if you have a, a chiller, or if you have a, a, a air conditioning unit, if you have a heating unit, how can you, I would say, make that uh, more uh, energy efficient and really uh, driving down the, I would say, the energy demand. And then I think that the last one, uh, Jenna, which you mentioned about digital, I would say, element. I think there's a, there's a lot of new smart technology. There's not a lot of a uh, AI uh, that is coming in, I, I believe that we can harness that in helping uh, become more net zero, but these are the four areas that I see really help us to reach that goal. You mentioned AI, just a disclaimer, there's there's no AI today, we're all here. <laughs> we're li we're live, you know, and, and I think all our answers are, are live, so, uh, and, and original, so thank, thank you. Just, yeah, it's becoming- I, I mean, to me, I think, uh, you, you both, uh, Vikas and Jenna brought up a really good point. Um, what I really like, I mean, the technology is fantastic and there's a lot of smart things happening, but I think if it didn't start with the pull from the end users, which I think is fairly new, right? I mean, for the longest time, it was the government pushing, right? Saying we need to reduce our, our dependence on fossil fuels or we need to electrify. And, and, and it was more, it felt like the, uh, you know, government's pushing solutions, uh, onto the marketplace. 
But now the more you talk to, you know, real estate companies, the more you talk to, uh, um, you know, end users and, and building owners, occupiers, they're pulling the demand for net zero buildings, right? So, uh, and, and that has created such a shift in the momentum, right? It, it's so much uh, easier to have people sit around the table and talk about how do we get this building net zero when everybody's involved and invested in, in getting the, the solution down in the first place. And that's something I think in these past yeah, a few years, maybe, you know, during the, those COVID era and all that kind of stuff, people had a chance to reflect a little bit uh, while we were all locked up in our houses. Um, but but that, I've really seen a big shift there. And I think, you know, OK, I know the sorry, Michael, the question was on technology, but I really think that was, you know, if we want to look what's driving uh, more net zero buildings, it's not the fact that we have a, a new widget out there that we can suddenly right, to, uh, get free energy, right, and, and uh, you, you know, nuclear fusion or something, it's really the demand in the market pulling it, I think, has been really driving this for the last few years. Okay, excellent. Vic, can I add to that really quickly? Just an example, because, you know, the idea, like, do we need stricter regulations? And I think um, one that I love to point to a lot is the, is the Pittsburgh 2030 district, because, um, you know, throughout the whole region, 1,100 building owners across every sector, right committed to these large goals and we've tracked the data on it, they're coming out of, you know, it's a voluntary program. It's making a decision and wanting to move forward, but understanding there are real positive benefits of that. So collectively over the last 10 years, um, they've, or maybe it's 11 years, these numbers, they've saved nearly $400 million in utility costs. So there's a financial side of that, we also know they've invested over $2.3 billion to improve their buildings. And collectively, they're close to almost 45% reduction in carbon emissions. And so it's, it's again, that point of data driving the investment, but it also helps change the end user's interest in wanting yeah. to move it forward. And how the market has changed over the last few years, we realize buildings are intricately connected to our entire economic system. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, incentive for yeah, for, for sure. moving things forward. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned the 2030 in Pittsburgh. So for, for our audience, we'll give you some reference information at the end uh, on how to get into that and see more of that. So that's coming. <laughs> and speaking of our audience, uh, a large majority of our audience is HVAC consulting engineers, designers, system integrators. Um, amongst others. And so thank you all for tuning in today. So let, let's talk a little bit about those roles. Um, how, how do you see the role of HVAC consultancies or and consultants in general, designers, system integrators, those, those guys that participate in, in the uh, design and, and execution of a building? Vic? So I, I think you mentioned in the introduction, Michael, right, that um, 40% of the energy worldwide is used in buildings, right? Um, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but 40% of the energy in buildings is used for HVAC, right? So we're talking 15 to 20% of the global energy consumption is being used in HVAC. So it is a absolutely critical uh part of, of uh, um, you know, the energy uh, ecosystem that we address, right? I mean, we, we hear a lot about electric cars and, and you know, what, uh, uh, you know aircraft and, and uh, um, you know, long-distance shipping and those stuff, but 15 to 20% of the global energy being used in commercial buildings is huge. So all those HVAC uh, uh, consultants, contractors, engineers out there, right? I mean, the focus is on 
you guys to right work to get these buildings down to uh, you know net zero because that is I think far and away one of the biggest levers we have to pull to to get our uh, um, you know energy consumption down. Um, what can they specifically do? Honestly, I, I think we have, uh, as I talk to to the different consultants, contractors, so on, um, great people working in this industry today, right? I, I mean, we have dedicated people with people who are super passionate also about, uh, you know, reaching net zero. So uh, let's keep doing what we're doing out there. Um, but to Jenna's point, right? as the technology was getting uh, uh, um, more and more advanced, we need to make sure we keep up with the training. I think, Vic, as you mentioned, education too, right? The days of servicing systems with a torch and a wrench are probably over, <laughs> right? Um, maybe you need still a torch and a wrench, but you definitely need your laptop or your smartphone and, and uh, a few other tools in there. Systems are getting more and more complicated, so we need to make sure we're staying on top of the technology. The, the technology and the innovation curve is, is skyrocketing. So we need to make sure we stay on top of all these uh, uh, developments as they're coming so that we can implement them into those buildings. And then, of course, um, you know, the individual technologies are are, are important, but it's uh, it's getting that whole uh, ecosystem in the building to to work well together, to have it connected and to have it be optimized. So, you know, I think fantastic work uh, uh, ongoing. Let's go full speed ahead and let's just make sure we're we're innovating and using those new technologies. Excellent. Vic or Jenna, you want to add anything to that? No, I think uh, Vic uh, has mentioned uh, there's a lot of work that is already happening, I would say, in the, I would say, in, by this, I would say, community, I would say, this sector of, I would say, there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of uh, skill that is already available in this uh, in this sector, and I believe we just need to continue. Uh, there are a couple of things that, uh, that comes to my mind, uh, because as Vic mentioned, I would say, HVAC plays such a key part of, I would say, decarbonizing our buildings that whatever new technologies and new solutions that we can bring in that could go uh, in that direction. One thing that is really, I would say, evolving and shifting, I would say, in the last few years is post-COVID is the, I would say, the utilization of these commercial buildings. We have clearly seen that there's a big change and shift in how the people are coming back in these commercial buildings, how the load uh, is, I would say, then the demand in these commercial buildings. Uh, to a large extent, the buildings were designed pre-COVID era without say having at some point of time 70 to 80 percent occupancy. But we have seen now post-COVID, I would say these, the occupancy in many of these buildings has not come back to that level. So, so, so simulating and analyzing the load demand, uh, maybe in changing times and how can be more uh, agile and flexible in ensuring that uh, we our load demand can adjust or uh, our HVAC solutions can adjust according to the load demand. Then uh, I think the other point uh, I think which we have also discussed uh, previously is uh, the I would say the source of the energy. Um, like I would say nations, a lot of corporations, including Tanfas, they have all committed to net zero. I would say to decarbonizing our own operations, and this is a this is a bold ambition that we are making also as part of science-based targets. So if we are committing to that, we also have to reflect that where are we drawing energy? Are we drawing energy from electric grid? Or are we drawing energy from a renewable grid? So so looking at our own operations, looking at our own factories, looking at our own buildings, uh, I think that also goes, uh, I would say, a long way. And lastly, I think this is also shifting. And this is, I believe, uh, our consulting engineers and system integrators, they know it very well that the how the energy is flowing within the building. Because I think uh, we talked about uh, technologies and solutions because Today we need, I would say, energy in this area, and tomorrow we need energy in different area of the building. So, 
the flow of energy is also contributing a lot in driving down to net zero. So, so I think this community plays a very critical role, and I believe the role is going to be much more enhanced as we move along. And, and we look forward to, I would say, working uh, alongside uh, many of these stakeholders. Excellent. Great points. Some great points there. Jenna, anything to wrap that one up? No, I think with this kind of being a new technology, new trends coming into the marketplace, that, that for all the consulting engineers out there, this is the perfect opportunity to take a market lead, right? You, you know, there's uh, um, still voids that can be filled. Not everybody is is uh, moving at the same pace on designing net zero buildings, right? A lot of uh, uh, you know companies are still going to be doing what we've been doing in the past. And so, for those organizations out there that are really interested, I mean, look at this also as I think a huge business opportunity to kind of take a, a leadership role in in this segment and and uh, can really propel yourselves moving forward. Yeah. Well, great segue into my next uh, question area. So. Breakthrough and key trends, right? Always an area that uh, engineers, designers are excited about. So let's see if we can talk to that a little bit. Uh, what are some of the breakthrough or key trends that, that come to mind in addition to what we've talked about? Or maybe you want to highlight something we've already touched on. But uh, Jenna, you want to sure. see what comes um, to mind? The one thing I was going to add really when you had said it's an opportunity for folks here pulling back in the fact that also the bill and IRA funding and many other types of funding, people can address their HVAC mm -hmm. systems and then have a great return on their investment. So it is just an opportune time. Um, many of the breakthroughs, I feel like we've discussed a lot of, about them, just how we are transitioning our buildings to making them smart buildings. Um, even the idea of grid interactive buildings, you know, as we're cleaning the grid, how do we create grid interactive buildings? I think that that's something that people are really looking towards. Um, and when you think about our existing building stock and the desire to bring more renewable energy onto the grid, we have to start thinking about our buildings as energy generators. I think that that's going to be something that um, will lead us forward and maybe people will go beyond net zero into net positive. Um, the other, I would say, breakthrough areas when people are considering the whole net zero carbon aspect of their buildings, really thinking about the embodied carbon of everything they're doing within their building, whether it's an existing building or a retrofit project. Um, and that brings in a whole new world of the products and supply chain. And I think that that's going to be absolutely critical as we move forward. Um, one thing I am really excited about, um, I had mentioned our partnership with the United Nations, the, U the UN Economic Commission for Europe led is leading a team um, in a project that's being funded by the German government out of their international climate initiative, all focused on the products and supply chain we need to achieve high performance buildings because we actually won't get there to this idea of near zero without the products and supply chain that we need. And so we realize that's a global need and GBA is really excited to be part of that project that's kicking off. And hmm. companies like Danfoss are critical to that, uh, to that solution. So those are some of the breakthroughs. The other thing I think is on data, people are realizing the performance of the data in their building and how to understand it better. And then how do you interact with the building and the occupants because of that data and continue to drive investment. Um, so those are some of the things I was thinking about. Vicky, sir, Vic. 
I think we have discussed quite a bit of say these uh, new breakthrough trends. Uh, I think there are a couple of them uh, which I will add on what Jana said. One of them is I would say certifications because I think certifications goes a long way in uh, helping certify a building uh, in their ability to achieve net zero uh, emissions. Uh, and I think there's a there's a work a lot of associations are doing I would say in certifying. But other than that, I would say the carbon strategies, the, the utility. Also management, facility management, uh, waste management. I think there's a there's a lot of areas in the building that can contribute towards uh, reducing the energy footprint, reducing the carbon footprint, uh, and uh, and I think there's a lot of technology and solutions already available, uh, which could be harnessed and could be leveraged uh, to really achieve uh, that. Uh, I would say net zero. So so I think we have discussed quite a bit, but there are also a lot of them also available on top of that. I would say. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think, and, and maybe it's not new technologies, but it's certainly technology that's being uh, applied a lot more. We see a lot more use and uh, reuse of waste heat. Um, you, you know, we're so used to seeing chillers or rooftops, cooling towers, just ejecting all this uh, 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 hot air in, into the atmosphere, right? And that hot air is energy, right? And and so we're just taking the uh, heat out of the building and just dumping it into the atmosphere. and. Um, while it's always been, uh, the technology has always been there, it's just becoming a lot more, I think, financially viable where we can do a lot more waste heat recovery, especially in places like hotels, hospitals, you, you know, airports, places that have a constant demand for hot water. We can capture that heat, reuse it and save uh, uh, the needs to do any kind of, uh, uh, you know, hot water heating. Uh, sector coupling is also something we see a lot about, and that's maybe connecting some buildings together and and. Again, it's about moving energy to where it needs to be, right? Where is it generated, right? Maybe your condenser on the chiller, whatever it is, and where can we use that energy? So it's, I think, really important to um, to, to look what we can do with that, uh, that that energy rather than just dumping it up into the atmosphere. And we're seeing a bit of an uptick to maybe not so much in the U.S. yet, but certainly in Europe on district energy stations. So, um, right, it's kind of about your thermal economies of scale, you know, building big systems, maybe campus-wide or, or, you know, apartment complex-wide and doing all of your heating and cooling in one location and then distributing it throughout the building. Uh, and we're able to have systems run much more efficiently that way. Uh, and then I think we, we've talked mostly about commercial buildings now, but, you know, on the residential side, you know, there's also a lot moving heat pumps becoming more and more um, uh, uh, important. We're typically in that, you know, 70-30 range air conditioning to heat pumps, but we see that ratio on residents ticking up more and more people moving to, to heat pumps in the residential sector. You know, we have the cold climate heat pump challenge where we're getting, you know, heat pumps that are running down to uh, uh, you know, 100% capacity at five degrees ambient. So I think there's a lot of technology moving out there. And then when it comes to uh, smarts, it really, I think, starts, right? We're, we're used to seeing things on the, the B2C side of things, right? We all have our smartphone and we can talk to our, whatever, you know, our thermostats and do that kind of stuff in, in the house. And that's really where the technology started, right? You, you know, so we're able to see what our, our home is doing, right? Our, our HVAC system for sure. And these days you can check your refrigerator and stove and dishwasher and so on. And that technology, we've kind of become accustomed to it, right? And if I can see what my, you know, air conditioning is doing at home, why can't I? you know, check what's doing in the office. So the, that move to, to smarts, I think, was driven a lot by, by the residential side, and now we see that coming commercial as well. Okay. 
So, uh, and, and you really went towards this, Vic, so thank you. Um, uh, and a lot of these technologies are available today or, or almost available or, or uh, maturing, maybe we could say also. Um, how about uh, a little, if we look a little bit farther into the future, any, any thoughts on future HVAC systems? Maybe we're not quite there yet, but still on the drawing board. Any, any thoughts or comments for the audience on that? So I think, um, you know, as I said, we've kind of become spoiled on, on the consumer side of things, expecting everything to be connected and at our fingertips on, on our phone. And I think we'll see that moving more and more as we move on to the commercial side of things. Um, and I really think if we're going to have the next step change in efficiency, which, again, all comes back to making sure the, the uh, we're using as little energy as possible to, to get our net zero buildings, um, it has to be about connecting those components. It has to be about knowing what's happening in the system. Uh, the the uh, manufacturers today building those chillers and rooftops are doing a fantastic job of squeezing every BTU we can out of it using uh, uh, the, the least amount of uh, energy possible. But we're limited, right, when you have a, a unit, it's, you know, air in one side, air out the other, water in, water out. Uh, and to really optimize that um, across your whole building, right, then we need to know what's happening on that 10th floor, right, and, and tell that, chiller what's happening right ahead of time so we can, you know, adjust speeds and adjust flow rates and do all those things right and really make that whole building uh, operate. And, and with, the you know, AI and, and the smart uh, technologies today, know it's going to be a cloudy day today, right, or it's going to be a sunny day or whatever it is, and we can adjust our, you know, of course, adjust the windows as needed and adjust the capacity on the units and do predictive things that are going to make sure we're not, you know, continuously chasing a temperature setting, but that we're, you know, kind of predicting where the temperature setting will need to be running at that uh, setting and, and minimizing the energy consumption. Okay. Vicus or Jenna, anything to add about maybe a little farther in the future here? Or? Yeah, one of the things I think we have now starting to talk about, I would say, smart units and digitalization, and digitalization is also, I would say, a big part of our focus in Danfoss. Uh, I think we believe, I would say, the digitalization and smart tools will help uh, uh, to simulate and optimize our HVAC units. Uh, because I think uh, as we now design a building, as we build a building, and how the load demand will fluctuate and evolve, having the ability to simulate before constructing that building, and I think that uh, that's goes a long way in really already, I would say, ensuring that we have the right tools and the right technologies already empowering that, uh, that I would say, the building. So digitalization will play a very big part, uh, I would say, in the future buildings. It's already there in our residential. It's mm -hmm. in, already there in our lives. But uh, how can we utilize the, I would say, the digital tools, not only simulate, and then also not only optimize, our, I would say, the I would say the energy consumption, but also optimize the cost uh, associated with the energy. Jen, okay. any last comments on that one? I, I think that you both covered it very well, That that the digitalization and also that interaction with the human factor is going to be key and you know future it's it's smarter than sometimes what we can imagine it's going to be right now um and the grid interactivity of the buildings um and vic you had mentioned something earlier about not just thinking about an individual building by itself mm -hmm. but a collection of buildings so how are we thinking about you know, a community scale type system that is connected to each other and talking to each other city scale. And that that's sort of where we need to go to collectively reach our goals, because not every building is going to achieve near zero or net zero, but collectively we could likely make huge progress. So. Okay. Excellent. 
Well, here comes the tough questions. These, <laughs> these are questions from the audience. So uh, thank you, audience, for those that have uh, submitted. And uh, we're going to try to read off a few of those here. Um, so this first one, uh, to what extent is preventative maintenance, such as coil cleaning, filter replacement, and the like, being stressed for HVAC cooling equipment as a strategy to cut unneeded power plant emissions? Yeah, so that, um, I think uh, maybe there's two parts to the answer. One, it's absolutely being stressed. Um, uh, I think every contractor you talk to, every building you talk to has a preventative maintenance schedule, right, and, and a plan. Uh, how often is it always followed to the T maybe is a, a different answer, right? Because, uh, uh, well, you know, let, let's skip this, whatever, this uh, quarter, right? We don't quite have the budget. We'll save a few dollars, whatever it is. Um, uh, I know there's been some testing on the uh, uh, level of efficiency loss as, say, your evaporator or condenser gets plugged, right? And, and so we can chart and see the performance of the unit degrade as, uh, you know, filters are plugged or, or coils are plugged in, uh, or, or uh, um, you know, pipes uh, are needed to be cleaned, heat exchangers plugged. So, we know there's a degradation. Um, I think all the manufacturers have suggested maintenance schedules, um, and I think we're good at putting those schedules in place. Maybe not the best at always following those schedules right now. Okay. Any other comments from either of you? No, I think there's the schedules already available, but I think the technology is also helping now. I would say popping reminders for our building owners and I would say technicians to really I would say go and replace I would say filter and clean out the coil. Because I think we can all agree here that uh, if done properly, this also goes a long way in also reducing the, I would say, the energy and the carbon footprint in a building. And uh, and if we skip the schedules, as you said, Vic, of course, uh, this is uh, going a little bit on the backward direction. But yeah, there's uh, two tools available, there's schedules available, but there are also technologies now helping, uh, you can say, automate some of these, I would say, regular uh, activities. And, and I'm laughing because I just got my home air filter alert. Okay. <laughs> Anything else to add there, Jenna? I, I think preventive maintenance has one of the largest paybacks, but again, some of the other barriers we discussed earlier keep it from happening, whether it's, you know, knowledge or practice of the person who's operating that building, but really time and capacity, like deferred maintenance happens in a lot of places and for a lot of buildings and sectors, and it's it's one of the areas that we try to stress and focus on a lot. Okay. I think Vickis did bring up a good point though, as technology's coming, it's not anymore the every 60 days change your filter, yeah. every 90 days, like the, right? I mean, we can now see, right, a unit and, and know uh, whatever, right? Superheat is creeping up, so we know that you've got a plug condenser, so you should go take a look at it, right? Or or the the, the frequency converter is, is sensing that the motor windings are getting hot and, right, maybe the motor's not running as efficiently as it can. So there is a lot of technology out there that's helping us not just do stuff based on a calendar, but really telling us, uh, um, you know, giving us kind of a, you know, fault detection right before we're having the fault and, uh, and, and not just a failure for downtime, but also from an efficiency standpoint. So I think technologies help a lot there also, right? Okay. Let's see if we can get a, a couple more in, or at least maybe one more before we run out of time. But um, this one came in, what percent of the U.S. buildings go through retrofit or deep retrofit annually? The last number I heard for retrofits in general is almost 2%. And I heard deep retrofits, and now uh, I'm trying to remember if this was a U.S. number or not. Don't quote me on it, but um, was 
less than 10% of the total retrofit. So if we say 2% are retrofit, maybe 0.2% are getting the deep retrofit. Um, I know that's been a big push in Europe. Um, they're looking to raise the deep retrofits. I think they want to to get that uh, uh, over 2%. But today, in general, uh, the buildings are going about 2%. And that's uh, that's commercial buildings uh, specifically there. Okay. Um, another one here. Uh, what is the best approach to achieve real change? Should we look beyond individual organizations taking action and more into wider industry collaborations? I think we touched on it, but maybe if you want to add anything. No, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's as uh, I think the answer is in the question. I think the collaboration, I would say, is the way to go. And I think there's no single association, there's no single entity, there's no single community that can help achieve this uh, goal that uh, I would say U.S. and many other countries has committed to, I would say, as part of the Paris Agreement. So I think there's a, there's a place for administration, there's a place for governments, local governments, there's a place for private companies, there's a place for associations. So I think we all have to come together and I would say pitch in our knowledge, our skills, our investment, our, I would say our ability to contribute towards to, to this, I would say, greater, I would say, good that we can all contribute towards and give, leave, I would say, a better, I would say, space for our kids and our grandkids, so. Mm -hmm. We definitely need a multi-sector yeah. approach. I, I very much um, agree with that and public-private partnerships and uh, you know, every person is impacted by this. So I think more and more people are coming to the table to both your points earlier willingly um, and want to move forward. So um, it's it's always going to be that that um, push and pull for supply and demand of, of near zero energy buildings and also thinking about the levers. Like when some of these levers aren't working anymore, how do we how do we start to think more strategically about others, but that requires a lot of people at the table yeah. working together. All right. Well, um, I think it's about time we wrap up here. So uh, I want to say it's been inspiring and uh, energizing talking to everybody here. And I think we can see the, the personal passion you all have uh, for this area. As a key takeaway from our panel discussion today, we've learned there's still a way to go in achieving net zero buildings but the industry is preparing and is on the right path. Together with strong political choices, we see a future where energy consumption and carbon emissions from buildings like offices, hotels, and data centers, as well as multi-residential buildings will decrease. So thank you once again, Jenna, Vikas, and Vic for sharing your insights with us, and also to you, our audience, for tuning in today. Uh, we are happy to support your needs and journey to net zero buildings, so please reach out to Dan Foss for further information. And uh, as we mentioned before, uh, thanks for all the great work to the Green Building Alliance and your organization, Jenna. And if you'd like to learn more about what's going on with 2030 with, with Pittsburgh and with the Green Building Alliance, go to www.gba.org and you can learn more there. So. One last note, stay tuned for our next Rethink Live session. That'll be happening next Thursday, September 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And uh, that's it from us today. Thanks for attending and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having me.